Hey, good morning, Parkers family. Uh, welcome back this morning. So good to be uh, with you again as we continue uh, our journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11. So don't you want to go and uh, turn there in your Bible or find it on your phone? Chodisho uh, and Logan are going to read uh, this week's uh, passage for us. And so uh, before I dive into it, I'm going to hand over to them uh, to read for us. Hi Church, this is Khadija and Logan, and we're going to be reading Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. Send your bread on the surface of the water, for after many days you may find it. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you don't know the path of the wind, or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening do not let your hand rest, because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. Thanks, guys. I must be honest, when I first uh, had a look at this passage in Ecclesiastes, it reminded me of my grade 9 uh, English uh, class with Mr. McMurtry uh, looking at poems. And I, I don't know how many of you enjoyed school. I didn't uh, have much time for it. And I had very little time <clears throat> for English poetry. Um, I always found it so confusing. You know, you would read these old poems and the teacher would ask, you know, what do you think so-and-so means when they say blah 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 And it was always stuff that I just never understood. It just, I just like, they spoke in a way where it felt to me like, just say what you mean. Just, just put it in simple English for us. And don't try to confuse us with this weird artistic way of speaking. And uh, to be honest, when I got to this part of Ecclesiastes, some of that came back to me again. It, it's not easy to understand uh, this passage and I'll be honest with you and, and upfront that there's different ways to interpret uh, this passage. And we're going to look at a couple of uh, them uh, this morning. And I'm going to um, put my cards on the table and tell you why I think uh, it does mean uh, one of those interpretations more than, than others. But um, it's one of these parts of the Bible. And this wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes is different to other parts of Scripture where, you know, when Jesus is speaking, sometimes it's just so clear what he's saying. There's only one way to take it. There's only one possible interpretation of what he's saying. And it's so easy to obey. Uh, with what Solomon is saying here, it's a bit more nuanced, a little bit trickier for us. But there's a lot uh, in this passage for our help and our encouragement this morning. And so uh, let's dive uh, into it uh, together this morning. Uh, when when I was at preaching school, uh, I, I didn't pay a lot of attention uh, there either, which may be obvious. Uh, but one thing I do remember them saying is that if, if you want to make a point, uh, repeat yourself. Um, if you want to make a point, repeat yourself. And here we, we see in this passage, Solomon has a phrase that he repeats four times in six verses. Four times in those six verses, he says, you don't know. You don't know this, you don't know that. And he goes into different areas. You don't know the future. 
You don't know what's going to happen um, this afternoon or tomorrow or next year. You don't know what, he says, potential disasters may befall the earth. Um, he says you don't know um, things about nature. He, he refers to it as the path of the wind. You don't know how to explain natural phenomena around us. And yeah, you could say we've come a long way from Solomon's days. But there's still a lot, friends, that we are not able uh, to explain. We don't know. He says you don't know how God does what he does. And there's a whole bunch of things that God does that we are not privy to. And we just, we have to say we don't understand. We don't understand how God works or why God works in certain ways at certain times. Solomon says, you don't know whether some of your endeavors will end in success and others will end in failure. You just don't know. Sometimes you'll try something and it'll turn out surprisingly well. Other times you're sure it's going to work out brilliantly and it falls on its face. And he says, we don't know. We don't know. And this reality can be particularly unsettling for, for us. For some people, it's, it's even more so. It's particularly troubling. The ones who love certainty and want to have confidence. And uh, this can just put the, the skids under you that you're not sure of what the future holds, of, of what your next week may bring into your life. And yet I think as we go into this passage, I think there's so much um, freedom for us. It can unsettle us, but I think if we look at it through the lens of, of, of Scripture and what the rest of the Bible is saying to us and our relationship with our Father, there's deep, deep encouragement here for us. So, because there is so much that we don't know, because there's so much that we don't know, how then should we live? How then should we live? Well, the first thing that I think Solomon is pointing to here is that we should live with radical generosity. We should live with radical generosity. Have a look in verse 1 and 2. It says, Send your bread on the surface of the water, for after many days uh, you may find it. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. There's words there. Send, give. And, and this is where the interpretations start to go in different directions. Some people have said that what Solomon's talking about here is international trade. Uh, he was a king and a trader. He had ships. You can read about it in uh, First Kings and other places. His ships, ships would uh, set sail and they'd come back. Uh, I read the story with, with one of my kids. They'd come back with gold and silver and ivory and, and apes and peacocks. And, and he, he was just thrilled about that. He wished he was uh, part of that uh, arrangement. But he, he, would, he would send his bread out on the water. He, would, he was involved in as it were, international trade. And some people have thought that that's what uh, he means here. Or, you know, you, you, um, you give a portion to seven or eight. You diversify your investments because you don't know what's going to happen on the earth. Uh, something may go wrong in one place. And our phrase, I suppose, not having all your eggs in the same basket would come from this. That there's wise financial advice in the scriptures not to, not to bank all of your future financial success on one option rather diversify and look i i'm not going to say it's not what it means um it could mean that i just in the flow of ecclesiastes and together with some of the other parts of scripture i don't think that's the main meaning of this i think what he's particularly speaking about here and into is that i think it speaks to as i said radical generosity when he says there, uh, cast your bread, he says give to seven and then eight. 
um, apportioned to seven and then eight. Um, in the Bible, numbers are always really important, and seven is the number of perfection. Um, and so to give seven would be to give wholly, to give completely. Eight is over and above. It's extravagance. It's, it's abundance. It's, it's radical generosity. And I think that this is what Solomon is calling us to. In the light of the fact, here it is, in the light of the fact that we don't know what the future holds. Let's live radically generous lives now. That's his motivation. He says, do this. Give. Send your bread out on the water. Invest and live a life of generosity because you don't know what's going to happen. You may not be around to enjoy everything you've stockpiled or saved or kept to yourself for years and years and years. You know, it's, it's a common kind of narrative um, in the world today. You know, save up kind of thing for your retirement. That's sort of the, the, the narrative that's whispered or shouted at us. Be wise with your investments. Plan now so that one day you can live your best life. Retire, you know. I suppose if you really knock it out the park, you can retire as early as possible. I mean, you've got a long period of time to travel and see the world and do everything you really want to do. And you'll have enough money for it. And wouldn't that be an amazing uh, life? And I'm not convinced that it is. Because I think the Bible paints a radically different picture. And it says you may not even be here this afternoon. So live now in a way that's radically generous because you don't know what calamity may befall the earth. Listen to what Jesus says as he speaks into this. And if you're following along or making notes, this is in Luke chapter 12 from verse 16. Jesus is telling them a parable. He says a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, this rich man, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Some of Jesus' parables are stronger and more forthright and clear than others. And that, my friends, is very clear. And he's saying, you don't want to build bigger barns and stash your stuff there. You may not be here to enjoy what's in those barns. Rather live now in a way that's radically generous. But generosity isn't just about how we are with our finances, is it? It is also, so, but it's not only that. And I want to ask a question to us this morning. Uh, what, is, what is it that you don't want to give away? What is it that you don't want to give away? You see, for some people to give away their finances, uh, isn't that painful for them? They'd much rather do that. They'd rather give their money than their time. You know, they'd rather, to use the phrase, throw money at a problem. But don't, don't ask them to give of their time or get, become inconvenienced or whatever. They're not interested in that. Other people are happy to give their time, but don't go after their money. You know, they volunteer their time, be generous with that, but don't go near their finances. For, for other people, uh, what we're not willing to give up is comfort. Happy, happy to get involved in different things, but don't want to be made 
awkward or uncomfortable and happy to serve or get involved or be generous with um, time or relationship or exposure or ministry or volunteering, so long as it's in a, this kind of comfortable bubble. And, and I, we could keep going. What is it that you're not wanting to give away? As you answer that question, as you follow that trail down into our hearts, we will find other things that we worship. And I want to call us and I want to encourage us as followers of Jesus to live lives of radical generosity. We open up our lives to others and we give and we give and we give and we give of our time. We give of our finances. We give of our talents. We give of our, of, of, of you know, getting into uncomfortable places and situations and conversations with people. We are willing to suffer reputational risk because we pour out our lives in radical generosity to others. I think that is more what Solomon is talking about because we're not waiting for another time to do it. And we're not stashing and stockpiling. We're being good stewards of everything God has given to us, realizing that it's come from His hand and it's meant to go to others. It's not just meant to be stored in our big barns that we build for ourselves. A life of radical generosity. Because we don't know, here's the second thing. Because we don't know what will happen in the future, here's the second thing we should do. Just do something. Just do something. Solomon's talking here about wind and the rain a little bit, and it can sound a little bit confusing, but he's talking about how we can't always predict or control um, natural uh, things happening, you know, the wind and the rain. We have very limited control over those things. You know, none of us can say, well, don't like the direction the wind's blowing. It can blow that way. Or can I just speak to the wind and calm it down? You know, there was somebody else who could do that, and it's not you and I. And, you know, you can stand outside looking at the clouds. And that's winter now. It doesn't really happen. But you stand outside looking at the clouds, and do we know if it's going to rain or not? You know, in Jovic, sometimes you're mostly right, but sometimes you're wrong. You don't know if it's going to rain. How much is it going to rain? What is what is on about is that you can't control or predict. And this freaks many of us out. The inability to control and to predict the environment or circumstances can make you feel completely adrift. And he, he uses this picture. There's this farmer, as it were, standing out in his field. Picture this with me. A farmer standing out in his field, hands in his pockets, and he's, he's looking at the clouds. He's looking at the clouds and he's, and he's looking at the wind. And this is what Solomon says of him in verse 4. He says, one who watches the wind will not sow. And the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. He has this farmer standing in his field and he's waiting for the perfect conditions before he's going to do anything. Perfect conditions before he'll either sow or before he'll reap. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to reap a harvest and it all gets wet before he can get it. Um, stored away or whatever. He's waiting for the perfect conditions. And there's this, there's this farmer standing out in his field. And he says, he's, he's not going to, if you just look at the wind, you won't sow. If you're just watching the clouds, you're not going to reap. There's an inaction that comes by waiting for the perfect circumstances and thinking that there's some way in which you're going to be able to control or predict exactly what's going to happen. And Solomon is saying, let it go. Let it go. The illusion of control. We have to let that go. We have no ability to do that in the natural uh, realm, uh, really. And he's calling us actually here to action. Just do something. Because you're unable to control those things, because you don't know whether it's going to rain or not, or how much it's going to rain, 
Just do something. Just do something. Plant that seed. Harvest. I mean, don't live unwisely. Don't live like a fool. And there's a lot of guidance in Scripture. And God has given us brains and common sense. And we wait on Him and we listen to Him and we follow directives and instructions and the commands of the Word. So it's not like we just stand around, you know, or we just live recklessly. We follow God's wisdom. But it, for many people, they are just paralyzed by inaction, waiting for the perfect circumstances. And I've got a, I've got a book that sits on, uh, on my shelf, on my bookshelf, and I love it. I, I see it often when I'm reading and studying. And it's a book by Kevin DeYoung. It's called Just Do Something. Just Do Something. This is the kind of book that you, you don't even have to read. It's very thin. A book and it is a good book to read but you don't even have to read it you just read the title just do something just do something my friends and i want to encourage you you don't know what the future holds you can't control it you can't predict it but just do something think of the unfulfilled potential and act on something maybe today is the day for you to decide to start writing that book to to make that phone call to pray that prayer to, to reach out to somebody, to go meet your neighbor, to say hi. To, well, I mean, don't do all those kinds of things under lockdown, but you know what I mean. Uh, soon will be a chance to do all that kind of stuff again. Step out. Not, not waiting for the perfect circumstances and being sure of success because you can't guarantee it. You can't control the environment to guarantee success. So just do something. Risk something for God. This is a scripture. This is not just talking about life advice. This is stepping out in faith, believing that God is going to be doing something with our action. Do something. What's the last thing he says? Well, because we don't know. Here's the third and last one. Embrace divine sovereignty. Embrace divine sovereignty. Have a look with me at verses 5 and 6. It says, just as you don't know the path of the wind, or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening do not let your hand rest, because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. What is Solomon saying here? Because we don't know, there's so much that we don't know, we have to embrace divine sovereignty we don't know there is so much that we don't know but we know that there is one who does know and he knows what he's doing and his plans come to pass so let's trust him and because we do and because we don't know let's plant the seed let's take action let's do something you know in this farming analogy let's plant our crops let's harvest Let's be busy. He's talking about um, sowing your seed in the morning and the evening, not letting your hand rest. It's not frantic work, but it's it's being busy. It's not this fatalism where, okay, I've embraced divine sovereignty. God is going to do what God wants to do. No, you know, nothing that I can do can affect that. That's an unbiblical view of God's sovereignty. God works in and through and cooperates with what we actually do to bring about his ultimate purposes sow the seed harvest the crop you never know here it is you never know what god is going to do with something that you do for him when you step out when you just do something solomon is calling us to more action not to inaction because we have massive hope and faith and confidence that god 
can and will potentially use something that we will do. Maybe he won't. Maybe nothing will come of that. Maybe something that we do or attempt to do for him will be a failure. Maybe no harvest will come from it. But we're not going to know unless you put the seed in the ground. Unless you do something, we wanna, we're not almost giving God an opportunity to have something to work with. We're just sitting around inactive. And I would prefer for myself and for all of us to live lives where we are stepping out and we, we're sowing more seed. Somebody once said, if you want to see more fruit, you have to sow more seed. If you want to see more fruit, you have to sow more seed. And I want to see more fruit born from my life, born from your lives, born through our church. And in order for that, we have to sow more seeds. Give God an opportunity to do something that we could be astounded and amazed and humbled at what he does. What he does with our meager seed, with our humble and sometimes not always humble, but there are meager uh, offerings that we bring to God. And as he breathes on them, some of them will be massive successes for the kingdom of God. They have a massive effect in the lives of people. There's many, many stories I was reading in preparation for this sermon. So many examples and illustrations, so encouraging, of people who had a, a passing conversation with somebody else. And they thought nothing ever came of it. And how many people ended up in the mission field and as missionaries and pastors just because somebody showed them kindness or challenged them on the direction of their life or just loved them or shared a pertinent scripture with them thought nothing more of it sometimes didn't even know some of the impact that you and i will have in the lives of other people will never find out about until eternity but that doesn't mean we shouldn't sow the seed and step out there and allow god to water them send down his rain and do what he wants with them we embrace divine sovereignty here's the thing we embrace it we don't just accept it that's like a kind of fatalist thing like oh god you're going to do whatever you want we don't just accept it we embrace it it should humble us and it should thrill us it should thrill us and keep our perspective correct listen to what james says uh, friends in james chapter 4 from verse 13 james speaking now he says come now you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. Friends, this should humble us. God's sovereignty. We, we, we almost preface every plan with if the Lord wills. Yeah, we should make plans. We should make plans. And it's, there's nothing wrong with having plans and intentions and wanting to do things. But we need to hold them lightly, not arrogantly, as James is saying. And believe again, my Lord, you know, if you will it, uh, this will happen. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a verse for our times as the world is still in a, in a phase of lockdown uh, for a little bit more. You know, oh, I'm just going to go over there. I'm going to do this. So here's my plans. And God's like, no, not so quickly. Only if I will it, will it happen. And whilst we can accept that begrudgingly, I think it does our hearts a lot more good to embrace it wholeheartedly and say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, because we don't just embrace divine sovereignty 
we embrace fatherly love with it. Fatherly love and divine sovereignty together. A loving father who is sovereign, those come together and bring such comfort and encouragement and help to us. Friends, I want to close this morning by talking about Jesus. In Luke chapter 11 from verse 31, Jesus is he's speaking and interacting and teaching. And he says this, he's speaking about the Queen of Sheba. Who, and it says from verse 31, came uh, from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She would come and consult Solomon because of his wisdom, as many did. And Jesus says, and look, something greater than Solomon is here. And, and, and he's speaking about himself. So how is, how is something that's greater than Solomon here when Jesus is referencing himself? Well, Solomon was a wonderful and wise teacher. But Jesus is the wisest and best teacher ever. But he's more than that. Jesus says something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater and more necessary than a wise teacher is here. Jesus didn't just teach wise things. He lives out these things. Jesus lives the life of radical generosity for us. He gives and gives and gives and pours himself out on the cross for you and I. And it's not just a one-off thing. God is like that. That is at the heart of God to give radically, generously to us. We can't never uh, outgive God. You can never outgive God. And even today, God is pouring out generosity on you and I. This is what this is what God is like. This is Jesus who we look at and love and worship. He lives this life of radical generosity. And more than that, he submits himself to the divine sovereignty and the will of his father. You see this all over his ministry. He, he, he's not just off doing his own thing. He says, I only speak what the father tells me to say. I only do what the father is leading me to do. Whatever he instructs. And, and right at the end as he's facing the cross, he's wrestling through this, this bitterness of the cup that God is asking him to drink. The suffering that he has to go through. And the father, is there another way? Not my will, but your will. Jesus submits himself in, in at the massive, massive cost to the will of the Father. And that obedience brings about the salvation of those who follow him. It brings about forgiveness to us. It makes us who place faith in Jesus, the perfect righteousness of God in Christ. And we become full of the Holy Spirit. See, friends, Jesus is not just an example. He's an enabler. He's not just an example. He's the enabler. And as we place our faith in him, yes, we look at his life and we say, Jesus, we want to follow you in radical generosity. Yes, we want to submit our our lives uh, to divine sovereignty and trust you, Father, as we step out and live like this. But we have to say that unless God gets into us and helps us through the power of the Holy Spirit, those things are out of reach for any of us. And that's some of the encouragement for us this morning, that Jesus is both our example and our enabler. He gets into us through the Holy Spirit to be able to live lives like this of radical uh, generosity and soul-calming trust in a divine, sovereign, loving Father. So, friends, you don't know. You and I don't know what the future holds. We have to just say that loud and clear. We don't know. And because we don't know, we're not going to live in fear. We're going to live in faith and we're going to trust the one who does know. And while we have breath, While we have life, while we have means, 
We are going to live lives of radical generosity. May God help us with this. We sow those seeds. We take those steps. We do things for Him and entrust the results to Him and see what He will do for our good and for His glory with our meager efforts. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank You for uh, Your Word. Thank You that it speaks to us uh, with clarity and conviction. Thank You, Holy Spirit, that You teach us again and again as we come uh, to Your Word. And as we looked again this morning, we just want to submit our hearts to You. We want to echo uh, the words of, of truth in the Scriptures that we don't know. We don't know, but we know You, Father. And we want to live lives of trust and confidence in You, Father, that, that You hold our lives in Your hands. You know what You're doing. And that that would cause great confidence to rise up in us. And we would dare great things uh, for You. We would live lives that are radically generous to others with our resources and our time uh, and point out just our lives into the lives of others and to see what you would do um, with it. Jesus, thank you that you modeled this person. You poured our generosity on us and you continue to do that. And we love you and we worship you this morning for that. And Father, I pray that you would fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit uh, this morning as we listen to this. Fill us afresh with courage and conviction and boldness and audacity to trust you that the simple seeds that we plant in the ground, you will be able to rain down the power of your spirit and your grace on and bear much fruit for your glory and your fame and the kingdom of God. And we ask this, that you'd use our lives in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.